You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 21. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. This episode of the Inside Study Abroad podcast is brought to you by the Study Abroad Journal, the practical field guide for savvy study abroad students. So you guys have heard me say this many, many times, but having an epic experience abroad isn't something that automatically happens. You don't just drop into another country and poof, become an enlightened global citizen. It takes time and reflection and understanding what you want what you've accomplished, and and how it all relates to the career and life that you really want. So that's why my co-founder and I created the Study Abroad Journal. This physical journal helps you identify your goals, outline an action plan to meet those goals, and figure out how to share the value of what you've learned while you've been abroad when it's all over and you're sitting in front of faculty members and hiring committees, your parents, the neighbor down the street, whoever will listen, and you can actually talk to them about why this experience was valuable. The journal helps you go from meh to epic and give you real return on your investment. To learn more and get your hands on a copy, head over to thestudyabroadjournal.com and use code INSIDESA at checkout to save 10% on your order. And if you're from a university or provider and you'd like to talk more about getting the journal in the hands of your students, reach out and we'd love to work with you. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm coming to you live from Buenos Aires, Argentina. I've been here for about three weeks, and I am loving this city. It's it's beautiful, and it's amazing. It does absolutely remind me of Europe, but, but not at the same time. Uh, just a really, really incredible place with such a fascinating history. You know, I've studied a lot of the rest of the world, but uh, Latin America, South America never really was a focus. I mostly focused on the Middle East and Asia and so really didn't learn much about this part of the world, sadly. And I am getting a crash course for sure. I've made some really cool friends at my local co-working space and they're all giving me like th- this amazing history lesson, <laughs> the people's history of South America and Argentina. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of wine, a lot of empanadas, and tonight even a little bit of tango. So that's really exciting. The other thing that's also been going down is I've kind of tossed my vegetarianism, which I've sort of been dabbling in. It was definitely hardcore in before I left on this trip. I've definitely thrown that out the window at this point. <laughs> There's way too much um, chorizo and steak and just delicious meats around for me to not have it, but I'm actually getting a little burnt out on on meat at this point. I don't know if anybody has traveled to Argentina. That happened to you? Gotta, gotta get away from that for a little bit. So before we jump into today's interview, I want to let you know that next Tuesday, January 30th, I'm hosting a free training, How to Land Your Dream Job and Study Abroad in International Education. As always, it's going to be packed with actionable strategies that you can use right away to, pay, to make an actual difference in your job search and your career. People who write me after these workshops all the time say oh my gosh I did what you said and I actually got an interview so I promise I'm going to give you a lot of great value so if you're interested and want to tune into that it go to insidestudyabroad.com training to get yourself registered and if you can't 
come live, that's okay. You'll get an email with the replay, but you have to register for the training first. So make sure you go to insidestudyabroad.com slash training. Also, next week, watch your inbox. If you guys are on the, the email list for Inside Study Abroad, watch your inbox because I'm opening up another round of the Global Pro Institute, and that will be starting early February. And so if you want to get in on that, I'll be opening the doors next week. So pay attention to your email for that. If you're not on the email list yet, go to insidestudyabroad.com slash subscribe, and you will be one of the first to know that GPI is open for enrollment. Okay, on to today's interview. I'm bringing you an interview with Samantha LaCroix, Director of University Relations at USA Academic Internship Programs Abroad. And she also happens to be a former colleague of mine at USA when I worked there. We started about a month apart from each other. And she's also a very dear friend. So it's really fun to get to sort of have like a friendly conversation with someone in the field, really candid conversation, which are, are my favorite kind, and uh, share it with you guys. You get to kind of sit down, have a have a cup of coffee with us, and, and shoot the shit a little bit. Uh, we did this recording a few months ago, right before she was about to give birth to her daughter. So we will reference that. But she has since had her daughter, who's adorable, um, and now has um, just a beautiful little family. And we're going to dive into that. So in this conversation, we dive into getting jobs that you don't feel qualified for, uh, because Sam has definitely experienced some of that in her career, how to land jobs without a master's degree, because she has had a great career and only recently got her master's. We also talk about balancing career and parenthood, helping students leverage study abroad for their career and finally getting a master's degree that works for your career and and the path you want to take in life so with all of that let's go to the show hi samantha welcome to the podcast thank you so much for being here now before we begin i have to tell everyone it's super weird for me to call you samantha so let's just get that out of the way That's your not- name is bazer to me and apparently uh, so i'll unpack that for you Samantha and I go way back. I mentioned this in the intro and her, your maiden name is Barrett. And a, apparently in the UK, the nickname for someone named Barrett is Bazer. Is that right? Close. So okay. um, it, it, the UK, I have no idea why I call you Bazer, apparently. <laughs> you do because of Sam Cooper. So whom we both know and love, but because she hired me, we were both two Samanthas and she's like, I need to call you something else. And she's like, well, in the UK, if someone's name is like Barry or Barrett or B-A-R, whatever, Baz or Bazer, like Gary could be Gaz or Gazer. Oh. So that's how I became Bazer. So then when you joined like weeks later, I was just Bazer to you. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, oh, your name's Samantha. I had no idea. No, I knew her name was Samantha. But actually, if you haven't ever met her before, I don't encourage you to walk up to her at a conference and say, hey, Bazer. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. That that might might be a little weird. Maybe, might be a good icebreaker too. You'll definitely stand out. Um, But yeah, so this is Samantha LaCroix now. And I I love that we're sort of talking about married names, maiden names, all that kind of fun stuff, because actually one of the, one of the many topics I want to get into you with is talking about merging the worlds of careerhood and parenthood. And so we're going to get into that in a second. But before we get there, Tell us your international education story and how you got to where you are today. So I think like a lot of people of um, sort of our generation, um, I kind of fell into this field. I didn't seek it out. Um, But my story is I actually grew up overseas. My dad was in the Foreign Service 
for 30 plus years. And so the first time I ever lived in the United States, I was eight years old, moving to uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland. And I had a very twisted view of America. I mean, Mickey Mouse, Disney, I Dream of Jeannie. I mean, it was not real America. It was pop culture America. Um, and then we moved again. And one of the things that I realized when I started looking at universities is wherever I wanted to go to university, I wanted it to have a very international feel because I actually felt out of place when everybody was just like me. And so that's probably where my international ed story starts. I chose um, to go to Northeastern University here in Boston. Go Huskies. <laughs> We're both alums. <laughs> but we didn't um, know each other. So. I know. Um, and uh, part of the reason I did that is because they had a program in their business school called um, the Bachelor of Science in International Business. And it required anyone in that program to spend one year abroad and you had to study um, a foreign language. So essentially you were minoring in a foreign language. Did my year abroad in Madrid, loved it. Um, it really validated that I like this um, immersing myself with other cultures, learning um, about other cultures, being a little uncomfortable or a lot. Uh, <laughs> and then when I started job hunting after college, um, I just made a list of the types of environments and activities I wanted to be exposed to. And it just so happened that um, EF and CIEE, some of the larger players in our field, kind of cropped up. And that's I, I got my foot in the door at CIEE when they were in Boston, and they were essentially looking for an IT tech liaison person between their IT department and their sales team for work and travel programs. I have zero IT background, zero. <laughs> but I like fixing things. I like figuring out how things work. And um, they liked my attitude, my spirit. Um, and obviously I had some skills that they were looking for. And so they brought me in and I just kind of worked my way up from there. Let's unpack that a little bit. So you applied for this job and you're going, I don't really either know what this does or I don't think I have this technical skill set to do that. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this who are, you know, are trying to break into the field and trying to get these jobs where conceivably maybe they aren't quite qualified or don't think they are. How did you position yourself, especially on your application materials to get them to at least give you an interview? Do you remember? I mean, I know it's been, been a little bit, but so, um, so this actually, I, I gave you the abridged version of how I got that job. So I actually applied for a marketing um, job at CIE. It was like a marketing assistant um, in their work and travel um, department. And I majored in marketing and international business. I had all these wonderful co-op experiences. So I actually had a lot of, for a recent college grad, a lot of work experience already under my belt by virtue of being a Northeastern alum. I interviewed for that job, went through two rounds of interviews, was on the verge of getting the job offer when the head of the department came in and said, my colleague who's been interviewing you actually can't offer you that job. That job doesn't exist. But we have these two other jobs. We really like you and we'd like to hire you. Okay. So it was literally like an on the spot. We want you, but not for the job that you applied for and have been interviewing for. <laughs> so you kind of got in with your skill set, with a so background. I got matters. in with my skill set and with my background. And I really, I, I highlighted 
um, having lived and grown up overseas. I highlighted having spent the year um, in Spain, and I definitely highlighted a lot of the work experience that I had had to date um, dealing with a number of different constituents, whether that was internal customers and clients within different departments or um, doing event programming externally at other um, positions that I had had. So I really highlighted that relationship building um, that I had had. And apparently that was enough to get my foot in the door. It was also before this field was super competitive. Oh, interesting. Yeah. like it, I, I This is what, 2003? that I started okay. in the field. Okay. So I, I, it, I, so that only makes me feel bad because if, if anybody's been in my world, my ecosystem for a while, they've heard my story about in 2006, when I was applying for jobs in study abroad and thought I was like queen bee and everyone wanted me applied for over 75 jobs and didn't get one call back. And so I'm like, Oh, maybe if it wasn't competitive, <laughs> maybe I was just crap. No, but I, I and think, that was also on in, I was applying on the inbound side. Yeah. Of things. And I, and I think you're right. And I think that is a really important point is that I, when I was applying and I think a lot of people now too, they get so zeroed in on a very specific either title or area of the field that they have to work in that they don't realize there could be other entree points into the field that might be slightly easier um, to get in the door. So then you can start maneuvering because sometimes the hardest part is getting in the room. Well, and I think also it's really important. Like you don't know what it's really going to be like until you're in it. Mm -hmm. So keep that big picture in mind and sort of what are some of the sort of core values and types of people you want to surround yourself with and the work that you want to contribute to mm -hmm. and see how you can help with that. Whatever it may be, it may not be the most glamorous. It, it might be, be tech liaison. Yeah. yeah. And you're going, <laughs> I've never done that before, but I like figuring out how things work and solving problems. Mm -hmm. And I can work with people from all different backgrounds. So I can very easily speak to someone on the sales team about why this new software isn't working for them, troubleshoot it on my own, figure out if I can duplicate the issue, and then go to the IT department and say, this is what's going on. And based on my own troubleshooting, I think the issue lies somewhere in here in this process. Right. You translate it. Mm -hmm. And then they feel like, okay, she gets what we're dealing with. We want to work with her because we know that she gets it and it'll help solve a problem for the sales team. Everyone's still on the same team. Mm -hmm. They just almost needed that translator and someone who could take the time mm -hmm. to deal with those issues. Because when you're trying to drum up jobs for international students coming in, you don't have time to be going back and forth with IT about a system not working. You right. just need to do your job. Right. And, and then coming back to that, like, contributing to a larger mission, larger picture, the more you in your role could help streamline that process, potentially the more students who could avail themselves of this opportunity to come to the United States, have this cool work and travel experience, and the world becomes a better place than and roses and sunshine and butterflies. Yes. Right? <laughs> okay. I love that. Okay. So, so that your international ed story starts at CIEE. Now let's, let's talk about how then you turn that over and now you're the director of university university relations at USA academic internships again god i've been lucky i mean hard work but luck you guys don't let her fool you guys sam is a rock star so um so uh cie um 
as many of you now know, is, is headquartered up in Portland, Maine. Um, and when they were moving from Boston to Maine, um, I made the decision that I wanted to stay in Boston. So I started looking for something else, came across um, actually a job posting that had been put up on Secusal. So if people are not on Secusal and looking to get in the field, get on there now, Google do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll link it up in the show notes. You guys yeah. go to insightsteadyabroad.com. Um, I actually was not on Sakusla at that point in time. I had a friend who forwarded me the, the posting and said, Hey, I actually think this sounds really interesting. You might want to apply for it. Mm-hmm. So I did, I applied. Um, and I knew that I would be switching from sort of bringing international students to the U S to working with U S students to go abroad And I knew that I was applying for a company that really valued and focused on um, internship experience, which I'm certainly a product of that experiential ed, and I value that, and certainly in an international context. I was like, okay, this this aligns. Uh, And I was really fortunate to get an interview with Sam Cooper, my predecessor. um, And and shout out to Coops. Hey, Coops. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So in that in that interview. I was really fortunate to just connect with the people in the room that I was interviewing with. I mean, there was a phone interview and then in-person interviews, and some of it was really tough. I was grilled as to why I didn't have a master's or wasn't pursuing a master's. Really? Yeah. Intimidated the bejesus out of me. Um, Another former uh, colleague uh, and uh, amazing woman, Catherine Hanley. Um, she, she asked that question. I was like, oh man, I'm entering into higher ed and I have no interest right now of pursuing a master's crap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I answered honestly, I said, you know, look, it's an, it's a big investment. Um, and I'm not going to pay for something that I don't know how it's going to impact me personally. Like it has to be something that I am driven to pursue that I find interesting, not for the sake of a job, because I believe that if you know how to do something and can demonstrate your skills and your ability, that that should trump any degree any day. It worked. (laughs) Nice. Well played. played. Um, So it played out. And I also, they asked me why I wanted to do, you know, why I was getting into this, why I do this. And I was like, this is going to sound really cheesy, but I really believe in promoting cross-cultural education about people learning about different cultures because I do think that that fundamentally helps to solve some of the bigger issues in the world if there is an actual mutual understanding that can exist across cultures. So sappy, so cheesy, but like, I still believe it. Um, I believed it then, I believe it now. Um, And everyone in the room just was like, you just want to make the world a better place. Thank you. You know, and yeah, I just had yeah. one of those, like, I'm not being professional. I'm just being me. Uh, and it, and it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started at USA as a university relations manager. Um, I think maybe four months in, I remember Cooper asking me, you know, where do you see yourself going? What do you want to do? Kind of helping with that professional coaching and development. And I had said to her, well, hopefully, you know, down the line, um, I can move up and I don't know, maybe have your job. (laughs) Uh, Less than what I think it was maybe another three or four months later, she announced that she was um, going to be uh, leaving USA to travel the world. Yeah. And lo and behold, that position was open. I applied um, and uh, was hired for the role. 
Yeah. And so now you've been at USA. I left USA. I was going to say, <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. Um, okay. So we worked together about a little over a year and a half and I left as well. About the time you took the job, I left. It I, was wasn't like, wasn't me. I know no, it wasn't you. It was just sort of like, we're all wanderlust seekers. So, um, and so I've watched you, you know, through all my hopping around in lots of different roles. I've watched you grow in one role or one division even, um, mm-hmm. you know, and grow, really grow into it and really take it on and, um, build on it every year. And one of the key elements of that process I've gotten to sort of live vicariously through you is watching you merge the worlds of careerhood and parenthood, like I mentioned before. And, um, I would love to talk about, like, let's just start with you know, some of the surprises, right? So, you know, and I think this will be really interesting. And I, I, I'm talking about parenthood because I don't want to exclude men, you know, from this conversation either. But I think, I think there's probably, and you can educate me on this, is that I think there's probably very specific um, challenges specifically for women, you know, because you're actually having the baby. Uh, but <laughs> and yes, I should tell you right all right now that Sam is pregnant right now. And by the time this airs, she's probably gonna have a adorable little bundle of joy at home. So ping her and yeah. congratulate her on that. But uh, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to go back to was the any big surprises that came up when you first went on this journey to parenthood um, and, you know, any big surprises and balancing those two, two things together, whether it was, you know, how you interacted with your company that you work for now, the field as a whole, any challenges, any, anything that kind of came up from that process? Um, a couple of things. And I think it's going to be different for every parent um, out there. For me, um, I definitely value my career. Um, I love my job, uh, but I will always put family first. I, I don't care how much I love my job. <laughs> uh, peace out. If my family needs me, I'm done. Um, and the biggest challenge that I found once I became a parent was um, balancing the personal drive for my career and what I want to see happen and um, both for me personally and professionally, um, but also for my team. I'm really invested in um, seeing members of my team succeed um, and being there for them. So anytime something came up where I couldn't attend a conference because I would be away too much at that point in time for where my child was, um, or my husband was also traveling or whatever it might've been. I always felt like I was losing a little bit of ground on my career. Mm. Um, and that was really, really difficult to accept, even though I had already acknowledged that family comes first. So Mm. even if you do that, there's still that, if you are that person that really does value your career and want to continue to invest in it, it is hard to balance. It, you don't. You don't have it all all at once, right? Um, I think you can have it all in the long run. But if you're trying to say you have it all all at once, I think that's BS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, and I think you know, too, like it, it, we've got it, things have got to give a little bit. 
Yeah. And one of the things that I think, you know, is interesting when I've talked to people, you know, I don't have children, so I don't want to presume to know what it's really like. But the conversation I've had with peers and our friends who are in the field is that there's sort of this misconception that like, oh, women can't have it all, but men can. And then when I talked to our male counterparts who have children, they said, no, we don't get it all. It might be more socially, quote, acceptable for the man to be traveling all the time. You know what I mean? But, but he's he, still missing out but on time. He's missing out. He's not getting to, you know, coach the soccer team or even be at the soccer game or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. might be happening. And so they're still missing something. They don't get it all at the same moment in time. And I think um, that can be, I, I know that would be a super hard transition for me because I'm, it's not even, you know, that I'm super like, oh, I have to build my career, but it's just like, I love to work. Yeah. I'm like a workaholic in a good way. <laughs> well, and this is, I mean, this is the interesting thing because, you know, I, um, my, my mom was a stay at home mom um, for many years. Um, again, you know, we were in the foreign service. So moving around. It's not like my mom could really have a career. She would just do side jobs as we got older when we traveled. But um, I was fortunate to have a stay-at-home mom. And so both my parents were actually initially surprised that I wanted to go back to work. Interesting. Did you um, want to go back to work though when it was time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she said I yes, love, everyone. <laughs> I, love, I love my son. I do. But um, one of the things I've always said, and this is before I had children, mm-hmm. um, was you have to take care of you first and do what's right by you so that you are the best version of you so that you can be the best version of you for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Be that a friend, be that a partner, a spouse, or a child, mm-hmm. right? Um, so for me to feel fulfilled, to be happy, to be healthy, I need the intellectual challenge and engagement that I find at work. Mm-hmm. I, I have so much fun with my son, but that, that does not exist with him. And while I can have great conversations with friends, it's not that same kind of, um, rigorous, um, mental challenge that comes up in the workplace, Mm -hmm. um, that might come up when you're debating whatever's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me coming back to work was something I needed, um, so that I could continue to be at my best when I'm home. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm I'm really curious to chat about is sort of how the IE field is towards parents or moms, uh, working moms, especially with smaller kids. I think it's probably easier when they're like, and drive themselves around. (laughs) But I think, yeah, yeah, but I'm just in terms of, you know, especially small children at home where it's not like you can be like, ah, dinner's in the freezer, take care of yourself kind of thing. Someday, Um, someday. How, how, how do you feel that the field has been and specifically, you know, what, what do you think has been really great about, or, or not great, I guess we could go there uh, about, you know, uses, um, reaction, I guess, to. So I would say USA is probably the exception, not the norm, um, at least in the U S for, um, supporting, um, you know, a, a working parent. Um, and this is use of policies that, you know, we, I say we, because I've been here so long, um, you know, that we really do value um, our employees. And I see that, I feel that, I experience that. Um, and USA definitely believes that you have to be at your best um, 
in your personal life as well mm-hmm. to be your best in your professional life. So USA has, I've always been able to have um, a flexible schedule if I needed it. So, you know, if my son was sick, it wasn't a question of like, oh crap, I can't go into work today because I have to stay home and mm-hmm. I'm going to have to use a vacation day and oh, I'm going to fall. Everyone was like, fine, you know what? You do what you have to do. Take care of your son. He comes first. That's always been mm-hmm. USA's response. Um, and if I said, oh, I'm going to have to work from home because I have to take him to the doctors later and fine. And it's so use has been very flexible and very open um, about supporting um, anyone in the organization that has children um, or any other personal needs, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that made the transition from being just a working professional to being a working mom, a working parent. Um relatively easy because of the support here. Mm -hmm. I would say within the field, um, I felt very well supported by um, my peers and colleagues at other institutions and and organizations. Um, The one thing that I think is maybe me projecting, I don't know if it's real, Mm -hmm. but um, I certainly took a back burner for the first two years of my son's life in terms of really putting myself out there in the field Mm -hmm. and engaging and traveling and presenting more conferences Mm -hmm. because that meant time away from him, Mm -hmm. which when he was really, I mean, he is still really little, but when he was even younger, I I was not comfortable doing Mm -hmm. that. Um, And I think some folks kind of, we're like, well, where have you been? You haven't been in any of the conferences. I haven't seen you. Are you sure you're still in the field? Like, if we right. don't see you, you don't exist. Right. It's like, if you, <laughs> sort of like, if, if you don't Instagram your food, did you eat? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's like, no, I swear. And like, you know, how legitimate is the work that you're doing? Are you really involved in the field if mm. you're not engaging? Oh, and, that's really interesting what you just said that. How legit is your mm-hmm. work in the field if you're not? attending, presenting, right? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, And so again, this could be me projecting, but I I certainly had that um, for a stretch where I was like, gosh, you know, I've been at USA, I'm the director of the UR team. We're doing some great things here. And I'm certainly, you know, I'm staying up to date about what's going on from reading, you know, any, anything coming out in higher ed, um, be it Chronicle or Times or whatever it might be, um, to actually talking to folks about, oh, what conferences are you going to? What are people talking about? Doing different research. But if you're not physically out there talking to people about it in person, Mm -hmm. right? We're a very face-to-face oriented field. Even though modern technology, we can communicate so beautifully over email and Skype, that in-person still holds so much more value. Mm -hmm. um, That's what I think people remember more. Yeah. No. I um, so to remove yourself from that is, is, is challenging. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I sort of felt like maybe a, a, a second rate, i.e. professional oh. for a little while. Yeah. Well, and I think that for that, uh, that's so, there's so much in that. So I'm, I'm very invested and ingrained in sort of the personal development and, and mindset stuff too. I couldn't, get all woo woo on people. But, you know, one of the things too, that you sort of that brought that up is sort of how we identify our existence with our careers, right? And so, you know, I find myself like, Oh, what do you do? I am an entrepreneur. And I'm like, No, I have a couple companies. I'm like, my identity should not be enraptured in that 
that one phrase. The same thing with, you know, I am an international ed professional. Can you be an international ed professional without the job, you know, like the, the job that sort of gives you that quote permission? I think that's yeah. interesting. Or are you um, a legit professional member of this, you know, professional community if you're not presenting or not attending? I think that's a really, I don't have the answer, but I think that's something but, that we should definitely be thinking and considering because the day-to-day grunt work, I think there's plenty of people out there who's like, I haven't been to NAFSA in five years. Hell yeah, I'm in this field because look what I'm doing day in and day out. So I think it's so interesting that you brought that little piece out of like that legitimacy factor of like feeling legit or -hmm. people projecting on you whether or not you're doing it. Yeah, I get, or me just projecting out on other people again. It's really hard right. to to say, but right. um, certainly when you're you're invested in your career um, and invested in what's going on, mm-hmm. um, sort of being outside of that for a while, right? You feel it. You feel it. Well, you know, one in my Global Pro Institute, one of the things I I teach is talking about building out your body of work, especially when you're just trying to break into the field, and and I think that you know these are lessons that are not unique to someone breaking into our particular field or breaking in. I think it's also leveling up your career and, you know, building out your body of work. You know, if you say, oh, I can't present, I can't be attending. So it's like, how, how am am I stalling that body of work development? Mm -hmm. Right. I think, I think it would be good for us maybe to give some people some suggestions. I think, especially if anybody's listening who hasn't been able to go to a conference recently or hasn't had the capacity to put together a presentation and actually be there to present it, um, to start developing, you know, establishing their own expertise. Um, I, you know, the first thing I would recommend is like, write, write mm-hmm. articles about your n- knowledge or expertise area in the field. What, where are their gaps in terms of people getting a step-by-step plan and playbook on how to do something? I feel like we were missing a lot of that. Yeah. It, it's funny. I think, um, as you were talking about, you know, like, how do you do this if you're not actually actively out there? What I was thinking is, you know, focus on where you are and what you can actually produce and capture mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. log. Um, so, you know, if you're still trying to really break in or, or, or prove, um, your expertise a little bit more and you're not in a position to leverage that in your current role, certainly write, right. Whether it's a blog or an article or whatever it might be. Um, but for me, I certainly focused very internal and just said, all right, what I can do, what I can control and the space that I can work in right now is USA. Mm-hmm. And working with our university partners and trying to understand their needs. And when I say their needs, I mean USA's needs and our university partners' needs and their students' needs. Like, let's try and understand this. And let me try and figure out how I can implement change and move things forward here. This mm-hmm. is what I can control. This is what I can participate in. Mm-hmm. And let me hone in on that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I would write a lot of proposals if I can't this idea. I think we should right. do this. You know, right. you just type it up and you ju- try and justify it mm-hmm. and have those conversations and some take off and some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but you build that portfolio, mm-hmm. if you will, that you can kind of go back and reference and draw upon. Um, I could engage with other people that were going to be going to a conference and say, oh, I think this would be really cool if... <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I have a, yeah, I can't do it, but I think you should. Right. Um, and sort of being the, the, the cheerleader, the champion, the supporter of others to see others succeed and to see others really highlight their expertise. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that's kind of what I did for, for a couple of years. Right. I like that. So let me, and then I think another thing to do there, if anybody's listening is like, okay, what else could I do is also like, think about the, um, you know, this might still be on the cusp of if it's feasible, especially if you have a really young child at home. Uh, but, uh, you know, engaging locally, like getting involved in your citywide sort of international ed organization Mm -hmm. or, um, having, you know, making the, an effort to, have lunch with a colleague in another organization or university once a month or, you know, something where you're like, okay, I can manage this. I can make this happen. I can still be growing my network mm-hmm. and still be doing some cool things, but it, you know, it doesn't require me flying across the country kind of thing. Um, and so just unpack that for everybody, start ca- um, capturing your expertise in written form, write articles, yes. create online presentations, all these cool things that are out there. Um, and then the next thing, dive deep into your actual organization. If you're in an organization, what are some big projects that you haven't been able to do because you're too busy doing presentations at NAFSA and Forum and insert thing here and, and and traveling a ton? What could you now do with that time to sort of get a project off the ground or writing proposals for a project and then also getting involved just regionally or locally? Yeah. And I think, you know, in that, in that same vein of sort of getting involved regionally, locally in your own respective organization, um, I really think it's important not to lose sight of helping others that you work with, whether they are your peers, your boss, or someone that you're supervising. How can you help develop them and build them and move them forward? Because that's also you developing additional skills and Mm -hmm. contributing to the field. And it's good karma. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's pay it forward. Yeah, pay absolutely. Forward. I think I think that's great. All right. So I think this is actually a cool leverage. I hope th- I hope what's happening in my brain right now actually <laughs> happens out loud. But so you it sounds like you had a little more time to think about the things that you could be doing internally in USA when you couldn't travel as much and from having a small child and all sorts of great parent awesomeness that I can't even relate to. But what it, I want to segue that nicely into our next conversation area uh, about more about the work you guys are doing at USA and other organizations. Cause I was at, um, at IIE's uh-huh. generation study abroad summit. You were there, went to your session, you presented with the, the folks at Villanova and I think a couple employers as well. And you guys were talking about bridging that divide between how students can articulate or what they're with the skill sets they're gaining from these international experiences and then translating that into what matters to employers and actually sort of getting in the door and, and giving them the sound bites that they want to hear basically. Um, And so was that a project that you kind of started working on because you weren't traveling as much or presenting much or attending conferences as much? Yes. Yeah. That's what I was hoping you would say. (laughs) I know. I was like, no, please let this work out because then we're not full of crap. All right. Um, So no, you're not. You're and it's totally, it's, it's on point. Um, so it's actually, it was the, what I presented on at um, the Generation Study Abroad Summit this past October um, with with Villanova um, was um, born out of something that started three, four years ago uh, when I wasn't really traveling much. Uh, and it was all about how um, this conversation in the field about um, outcomes has been pretty prevalent for, I'd say, probably five 
years, maybe a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, well, what's the outcome of study abroad? You know, how do you measure it? How do you assess yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and USA has always sat in this really unique space where we don't really control the full program because we're facilitating programs on behalf of our university partners so that assessment part tends to live with our university partners, not with us. But it was a huge de deficit for us. Um, and something that I was like, you know, there's a way that we can, we can fix this. And other members of my team were like, yeah, we, we absolutely should be doing something. We could probably run a workshop at the end of the program that would sort of help students unpack their experience before they return back home. So that when they get back on campus after say a summer program, they already have some of the tools to sit down with their career services and really flush out how they're going to um, capture this internship abroad experience on their resume or how they're going to talk about it. And so we started with that concept of like a sort of post program capstone workshop. Mm -hmm. um, and we worked around with that and it evolved. Um, and so we evolved our services around that and through evolving our services to be something that's more holistic or pilot program, which is not pilot as in test. It, P-I-L-O-T, um, Personalized uh, Learning Objective Toolkit, um, was used to really help facilitate um, identifying transferable skills that students can be gaining, these sort of competencies that students can be gaining while studying abroad and certainly with use of their interning abroad. And by doing that, we started doing more research and figuring out, well, okay, if we're talking about these competencies, what are employers looking for? And we had been involved with um, NACE, um, in the past and, and sort of would keep an eye on what's going on with NACE, and that's the National Association of uh, Colleges and Employers. Uh, and they had uh, released, I want to say it was in 2014, uh, they started releasing um, what are some of the sort of career readiness competencies that employers are looking for from college graduates. And so to break that down to what does that really mean? <laughs> uh, you know, employers are saying, these are the skills that we want college graduates to have that are really the most applicable to any job that we're hiring for. So things like critical thinking and problem solving, oral and written communication, teamwork, um, professionalism. Um, some of these competencies, this is what we're looking for in, in graduates, and we may not necessarily be seeing it when we're interviewing them. Um, and Yusa went, well, hold on a second. We know from talking to students that these competencies that NACE has identified through their own survey of employers, that these, these competencies that employers are looking for, they're actually developing and working on while they're also studying abroad with us. Hmm. So we did, um, we started surveying our alumni to ask them, hey, when you studied abroad, did you notice sort of a, an increase in either your comfort level um, or your skill level um, in terms of communicating with folks from different backgrounds or problem solving um, and sort of tying that all together and then started having these conversations with our university partners and Villanova had actually done a similar survey of their, uh, some of their alumni from their global citizens program mm -hmm. that they run and both USA and Villanova um, found that students were saying, 
by virtue of having done this time abroad, uh, both studying and interning abroad, um, we felt that we gained um, our, you know, increased our competencies in the ability to communicate effectively, um, both written and verbally um, with folks from other backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, my ability to navigate ambiguity increased, you know, before I was really uncomfortable and might sort of freeze up or lock up. Mm-hmm. But then by virtue of having lived, um, studied and worked abroad, I really tested those boundaries. And the more you test that being in an uncomfortable and I'm not sure what I'm doing here situation, the better able you are to then adapt and adjust and it's, it's like anything else. The more you use it, the more you practice playing the piano, the, the better that you get if you think about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so USA did um, our survey. Villanova had their survey. It's all based off of student self-evaluation. So there isn't an actual test or metric in place, which right. That's you and I question. have actually talked about, um, which is it's on my radar. Um, who knows? Maybe in a couple more years, USA mm-hmm. will develop that. Um, I'm sure folks at USA will love me for that. <laughs> I have this idea. Well, you have another. You have another baby, so uh, you have more time to be like, I did. I do. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. you know, a lot of this is based on student self-assessment, um, but one of the most validating um, data points that, that came back to us um, in terms of, you know, students saying, I graduated, I got a job, and in hindsight, that first job out of college, you know, what helped me get my foot in the door, and what did I actually talk about in that interview? Um, 69% of our alumni were saying, the fact that I did an internship abroad was the focal point of that interview. And I could actually highlight experiences that I had um, while studying abroad that directly translated to some of the skills that I would need to use in the job I was interviewing for. And the employer engaged in that conversation with me more so than about, you know, um, whatever finance classes you took what class I took or what student committee I was on or um, what work study job I had or whatever it might have been, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that for us was really validating. And so we're continuing to sort of explore and follow that um, line of questioning up with our alumni and kind of going into that next wave of saying, all right, you told us that this was something that was incredibly valuable for you landing your first professional job out of college we would like to now have more in-depth conversations with you about what did that look like? What were some of those skills? How do you see that experience having benefited you versus perhaps some of your colleagues who are at the same level that perhaps didn't have that experience? Mm -hmm. Is there a difference? Is there not? Because there's so many different variables that go into whether or not someone gets hired. Um, I would love to say international ed is, is, you know, the the breaking point, uh, but that may not. Right, right. (laughs) Not necessarily bear any fruit. Right. Well, it's so interesting. We talk about like learning outcomes, you know, my, my master's degree that I did end up going to get, and by the way, we're going to talk about you going to get a master's degree as well as being a mom, as well as being the director (laughs) of university relations. You're crazy. Um, but (laughs) no, uh, you know, I studied college student development theory and Mm -hmm. all sorts of how college affects students, this larger, broader question. And there was a whole question like outcomes of higher education, like, and not just international experiences, but the whole sort of traditional four or five year experience. And, 
uh, Pascarella and Taranzini. There's a book called How College Affects Students. It's like this thick and it's full of studies um, that have been conducted about how, you know, Greek life and student leadership programs and living learning centers and insert all the different things we've got going on on a campus, um, how, how they actually impact learning outcomes or it's different um, outcomes where that we hope students get from these experiences, intellectual development, cross, you know, cross-cultural communication skills, interpersonal skills, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, so much to do. And at the end of this book, the, the basic premise of this tomb of studies and, and, um, analysis is that college affects students eh, a little bit. <laughs> and the idea here is that, you know, Students are already going through an evolutionary process. You, you by design as humans, we are going to evolve from you know certain age points, right? So mm -hmm. It's like you know, you're, like your son, he's he's developing, and all, it's natural process of human life. Now, same thing happens from like the 18 to 22, 23 year old mm -hmm. segment as well. And so, I'd be really interested if somebody out there wants to do the research because I don't. I'd be really be interested to look at all these studies, to look at you know people who are doing all their PhD dissertations and things like that to really figure out the real, real tangible impact of these experiences. Because I, I do, I do think that they're moving the needle, but it would be really interesting to see how much they're moving the needle. Because, mm -hmm. And because one of the things I think is interesting about your presentation, I think there were like four other presentations along this sort of same there vein. There was definitely a strong yeah. theme at the conference, which is yeah. great. And one of the things was like, figuring out a consistent way to measure this because it would be really interesting to you know if everybody doing an internship program regardless of organization took the same like pre-test or whatever mm -hmm. that would look like and then took the same post test so we could sort of actually see how the, these engagement pieces are working um but I don't know. Smarter people than me have to figure that out. And I'm pointing to you. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, it's, it's on my radar. It's just, a, oof, it'll be a beast. Mm -hmm. It'll be a beast to tackle. So let's back up to then. How did you balance? So, so you know, back in when you interviewed for you, so you were like, eh, I'm not really interested in getting a master's. Now you have one. Yeah. Let's talk about one, yeah. why you did it, why you chose the particular program that you did. And, um, you know, and then how you, you, you measured all of that. Cause by the way, you used to be my go-to example of like someone who had this great career and didn't have a master's degree. One of like the things that bothers me about <laughs> Everyone is told there's no way you can ever get a job without a master's degree. Yeah. And I think it's sort of ish true, true ish, uh, but probably uh, plays out more true than not. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll give you that. So let's talk about you. Like, why, okay. did, why did you decide to do it? Why did you do that program and how did you manage it all? Uh, so I, um, started entertaining the idea of a master's, um, when I was feeling like I was presenting a lot of ideas at USIP, but not being effective at implementing them. Interesting. Because you would be someone I would point out and be like, you know, you want to meet a master implementer? <laughs> Go talk to Samantha LaFroy. Well, you know, you set your own bar, right? Like right. the you're your own worst critic. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I can, I can do more. I'm just, I'm not. And I'm frustrated with that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was this question of, well, you know, do I, do I look elsewhere for a job or do I see if I can do more here? What, what do I want to do? Um, and really when it came down to it, I still love the work that USA does. I love the people that I work with. I was just personally frustrated with where I was professionally. And so I was like, well, you know what, maybe if I got my master's, um, 
in some, you know, in maybe like a business field, something a little more broad in general, I would sort of learn certain skills, tactics, ideas on how to actually act and implement. Um, and so this is just sort of percolating in the back of my head for maybe one or two months. And um, Northeastern, again, um, had an amazing advertising campaign that, you know, infiltrated Pandora and every race radio station I was listening to. And, <laughs> and on the time I, I'm sure. yeah, like everywhere about their um, master's in innovation program. Uh, and it caught my attention because it did actually talk about affecting change in your current job. So this wasn't go find another job. This is do more where you are. Um, it was, it was, and is a one year master's program part-time for a working professional. And I went, Hmm, I can do that. And then after doing a little research, I found out that being an NU alum, I was eligible for the double Husky award, which meant that I got a basically discount on tuition. So right. it made it a little <laughs> bit more financially yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all those factors really like time, money, and actual interest all right. just aligned. Um, so I went and I talked to them and they're like, well, you know, this is what we look for. And, you know, you have to have GMAT score of whatever. And I was like, oh, shoot, I stink at standardized testing. And they're like, well, you're an NU alum. We know the program that you did. It was really rigorous. You did quite well in it. So that would certainly help offset, but take the GMAT. And by the way, the deadline is three weeks away. Oh my like, gosh. Oh. I have three weeks to study for the GMAT. Are you freaking kidding oh, me? Oh no. Oh no. I've taken that practice exam a couple of times and I'm like, <sighs> no, there, there's a reason I don't have an MBA people and it's called the GMAT. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I took it. That's all we need to say about that. Um, and God bless um, my folks that I reached out to for recommendations as well as uh, my own application, because that certainly, I think, saved me. <clears throat> uh, and I got in. And um, what I really enjoyed about this program and what still is, is of interest to me is that it's also the first year of an MBA. So if I want to, I can go back for one more year and get my MBA. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I want that. I don't know that that's <laughs> necessary. I'm just saying yeah. it's always nice to have that like huh, that's out there. Mm -hmm. And it's a little easier. Um, but what I liked about the program and what really worked well is that um, it's one year intensive. So they were teaching classes every other Saturday. Uh, there were two one week residencies and a couple Fridays sprinkled in. And I was like, God, this is going to suck for a year. Mm -hmm. Had a very long conversation with my husband about what this would mean. Um, because it's not just me. I mean, you know, right. I'm talking a lot about me being a working mom. Um, I'm fortunate to have a really supportive spouse. Who's also working. Who's also working. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he has his own career he's trying to manage. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so, uh, you know, had to have that long conversation of what that would mean because I still travel for my work. Mm -hmm. um, and can we do this? And can we manage this? And all of that. And mm -hmm. um it was just a resounding support. And then I um, actually reached out to my boss, Julie Kelly, the executive director of USA and said, so I'm applying for this master's program. And would you write a letter of recommendation for me, please? So wait, what about that conversation? Did you feel like you, that was, you know, cause it sounds like uh, Fridays maybe away from work or it sounds like a couple of weeks that I, was sprinkled in there. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I kind of 
I, I kind of waited to see if I got in first before I really dove into those details. Okay. It was sort of a need to know, like I let her, I let Julie know that it was going to be a part-time program, but didn't know if I was going to get in. And all of a sudden she's like, okay, yeah. And I at least knew from my experience of, of being at Yusuf for as long as I have right. that we are really supportive of people pursuing, um, interests that contribute to your professional life outside of work. Mm -hmm. um, and so supporting me furthering my education wasn't something that I was concerned you. So would be like, no, you can't have the time right. to do that. Right. And I think that's and really, in, like, yeah. And I think that's super important for people to realize all the time is like people always come to me and I feel like they want these, like the step-by-step -step black and white rules to a career in international ed. And I honestly, it's honest, it's more about knowing your audience. Right. And because I have had people, you know, peers who've worked at in other institutions, other organizations who they didn't have that level of support. And they and they knew that going into their boss's office, that that was actually going to be a battle for them to mm -hmm. get that kind of support for whatever they needed to do um, versus you knowing, you know, you I worked at USA because I, I know it's like one big hug fest and it is. it's great and, <laughs> and it's a very supportive environment. And you knew that. And so you knew where you could sort of like push the boundaries a little bit or just sort of make some, some yeah. small assumptions. And I also, I mean, I have a very strong relationship with my boss where she also knows that I take my job very seriously and that I wouldn't pursue something that I would, that would be to the detriment of my job. Mm -hmm. um, and when I explained to her, you know, why I was doing this, I was like, you know, I just feel like I can do more at USA. I mean, what boss doesn't want to hear that? Mm -hmm. um, right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, she was, she was very supportive of it. And then once I got in, I was like, so there's this one week residency here and yeah. here, and I'm going to need these Fridays. And she's like, whatever you need, you take it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. You've, and so that was, that was fantastic. Um, but what it actually meant in reality is I did a lot of work at nights, both for school, but also for USA, because again, of the type of person I am, I'm invested in making sure that if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I'm not right. going to do it half ass. Um, it does no favors to me or to anybody else. And again, I have a team that um, works here that they're, they're phenomenal and so intelligent and, and so um, motivated that if I let them down, I'm going to feel like an asshole, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I, I just, I, I, I cannot do that. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of, um, a lot of time spent working, whether it was for school or for USA. And that meant that my time, quite frankly, actually with my husband suffered the most. I prioritized mm -hmm. time with my son because he doesn't understand it, but because right. of my husband logically, like I could have these conversations, like you get it, you get it. Mm -hmm. Like, this is crazy. Like this sucks. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, it's one year. It's one year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that goes back to, you know, even if somebody listening doesn't have a family at home or a spouse or a children that they're um, balancing all of this with and, and maneuvering is that, you know, all the time in your career, you're going to be negotiating things. And, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're just starting out and you're solo and you can move anywhere and do anything and, and, you know, fly by the seat of your pants, you're still probably going to have to negotiate. You know, I tell people all the time, like the big three of any job is location, the actual work you do, the actual job, and then the, the cultural fit, 
right? What's, mm-hmm. what's the environment like of, of that role? And typically when you're first starting out, you're, you might get one in three, right? You might get to be in Boston, but have a job mm-hmm. you kind of hate, right? Or you move to South Dakota and get an amazing job like I did, you uh-huh. know, but realize like location, not ideal, right? It wasn't my number one pick, but mm-hmm. you know, there's all these times in your career that you might have to negotiate. And it's not till you sort of get further and further up that maybe you get to, um, you know, have more control over maybe getting all three of like the ultimate like location, job and fit. Yeah. And I mean, even, I mean, even being further in your career, none of it's a guarantee. I think everybody is having to compromise and it's just knowing really, um, I think you've, you've touched on this before, I think in other, um, interviews you've done with folks, but it's just really knowing, um, what's important to you and staying true to that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, for me, certainly the, the culture of where I work is huge. Right. I'm going to be spending so much time there. I want to feel like I am part of a family. Mm-hmm. It's cheesy. Again, I'm, I'm a cheese ball. <laughs> uh, but that it, that it is really very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having that here at USA for professional and personal growth has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think, you know, people, it's, it's really important to understand that if you are going to draw a line in the stand on something like that, which is totally legit and knowing mm-hmm. that that's a super important value to you. I've had people I've worked with in the Global Pro Institute who are just banging their heads trying to get a job in international ed, but they will not, they are like, for whatever reason, because they're you know, their family's there and they can't move because their husband or their wife has the job. They can't leave Boise, Idaho, you know, and they're in this location where they're like, I have to be in Boise and I have to work in international education. And I'm like, well, what we define as international education and the type of work you do in that space, we're going to have to broaden that quite mm-hmm. a bit because not to say your number one jobs. priority, right? Yeah. Your number one priority has been your location. And so therefore you have to negotiate, um, and, and compromise uh-huh. on those other bits. And yeah. it's, it's a really hard thing for people, people, you know, I, 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 I say this kind of tongue in cheek for me, but you know, people say, Oh, Brooke, how do we get a career like yours? And I'm like, well, job hop and live at a hundred different places and work for yeah. 50 different organizations. It's not that many people, I promise. No. But you know, it's like, I made that a priority. Yeah. I was also in a relationship where I was like, you can follow me or not, you know, and mm-hmm. I made that the priority. Whereas people have to understand, I also sacrificed in other areas, right? Yeah. And it wasn't just like, oh, she got to have whatever she wanted whenever she wants. Like, no, nope, actually had to be long distance yeah. with a, you know, a partner for a while and all these things. And but that was my choice. Um, so I think, you know, I think this comes back to maybe even like the parenthood and careerhood merging those together is like you said, your family is first. And so you'll mm-hmm. make those priorities, recognizing that you might have to negotiate some of the other elements involving your career. Yeah. I mean, and that's really where I have been able to evolve my role at USA to become more than what it was when I started. Mm-hmm. Because if this were the same job that I had nine years ago, I would not still be here. Mm-hmm. I would be bored as bleep, um, <laughs> you know, like I, I couldn't, I cannot do the same thing every single year in year out. I need to have something new and fresh. And I'm fortunate that I can create that here. Mm-hmm. If I couldn't, I wouldn't still be here. Right. Right. 
And the minute that stops, then, I mean, Yusa already knows this. This is not news to anybody. I'll yeah. be like, all right, I got a job. Right. That, yeah, on. yeah. And, 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 and that's totally okay. I mean, people should also realize, too, it's like you, they're, you're going to evolve and change. And sometimes the organization or the role does not evolve with you. I mean, I experienced that at GoBroad. It was mm-hmm. just where I wanted to go and take the organization just did not fit anymore. And, and so it just, and it worked out. It was fine. Um, so we're almost at an hour. So I want to um, close this down. Thank you so much for all these very candid responses and sort of giving us a real picture of what it's like to balance these two worlds, two identities almost. And then also, of course, all the cool research you guys are doing and, and with the outcomes for international internships and and helping kids get real jobs. I think that's amazing. Uh, but let's close this out with um, any advice you have for someone just starting their career in international ed. You know, when I think about um, the best piece of advice is really looking for opportunities to help others. Um, I think if you can identify a way you can help somebody, whether that's um, by getting a job somewhere or someone that you meet through, say, that local study abroad organization, you're at a networking event and you're chatting and they're looking for apartments or um, they've got family coming to town and they need a big place to go out to dinner and you know someplace, connect, help, be real. Um, be genuine about it uh, because that's where you're going to build those connections. Um, and that's what's going to help you sort of network and get your foot in the door. Um, I got my foot in the door because I was willing to help and do something that maybe nobody else wanted to do. I don't really know. Um, I'd, I'd have to go back and ask Phil Simon. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I was willing to help um, and, and problem solve. And that has really been something that I have done throughout my career. Um, And I've done jobs that were not glamorous and did not have travel, even though that's what I desperately wanted. Oh, my God. Everybody getting in the field desperately wants to travel. I don't think I traveled abroad for the first two years um, that I was with CIE because the jobs that I was taking didn't really lend themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I was the person behind the curtain, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that, that attitude of how can I help what in whatever context that may be, Mm -hmm. if that's the mindset that you go into your job search with, whether it's international ed or something tangential to international ed, whether it's looking at sort of the travel side of things Mm -hmm. or the cultural or educational side of things, um, just look for opportunities to help volunteer. Um, there are so many opportunities to volunteer in this field. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, any conference that's going on, people need someone to help with the setup. That mm-hmm. may mean you show up and you are literally helping to move tables. Yeah, absolutely. Great. I, I am Go so, and do I, it. I have to give a little mini story here is that I am still very good friends and connected with someone who we were both volunteer. I was working at use actually when this happened, I, we were both volunteers at the 
Boston area reentry conference for students. Mm -hmm. We were volunteers. We showed up in like jeans and a t-shirt and we put up tables together and we just chatted and we are still friends to this day. Now she's like director study abroad or something big and fancy, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So, and at the time we were, I was working in the field. She was trying to break into the field. And that's why I tell my GPI participants, I have to always bring up GPI because I love those people so much, but I tell them all the time. I, I tell them, I was like, look around you. These are the people you need to become BFFs with because these are the people who are going to be rising the ranks with you. And pretty mm-hmm. soon you're going to be hiring each other. You're going to be doing big research projects together. You're going to be presenting yeah. together. You're going to be rooming together at conferences, like all the things. Look you side need to, to side. This is a piece of advice I actually got from Sam Cooper. Um, and I don't remember exactly when she told me this, but she's like, you know, uh, you never know who in the field could end up being your boss someday. And of course, at the time when she's telling me this, and you know, she's like, well, you know, I could end up working for you someday for all you know. And I thought that was really rich because she's been in the field, you know, at this point already director of USA, university relations for five years. There is no way in hell this woman is ever going to be working for me. Um, Fast forward a few years and I'm going on maternity leave for the first time and I end up hiring Sam Cooper as my maternity cover. (laughs) And I'm having to train her up on what the job has evolved into. And granted, she's my replacement, but for that short overlap, I'm her boss. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, wow. That was foreshadowing way back then. You know, if I could write my 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 novel right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And and I think that's really true. Is that you know whether someone is high up in the field is your peer, is someone who's looking to break into the field and you're just getting started. Treat everyone this the same mm-hmm. with respect, with a willingness to help. You know, and you never know where it's going to lead. You could end up having that great friend that you meet carrying tables around the BASA reentry conference. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Bazer, Samantha LaCroix. Just so uh, people are going to be like, what's her name? Her name's Samantha, everyone. Uh, Tell everyone how they can touch base with you and connect. So I would say the best way is probably through Twitter. Um, I definitely monitor that a lot. And then when there are events going on in the field, I'm probably the most active (laughs) tweeting. So study abroad for a season is probably when you're going to see me the most on Twitter. Yeah. Um, at SFB LaCroix. SFB LaCroix. I will link that up in the show notes so everyone can go follow you and say hello and thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's just fun to chat to you. Oh, I know. And good luck with the new little one. I can't wait. Thank you. Do we know? Another week. A little girl. Girl, little girl. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. A little. Oh, I hope she has curls. If you guys are watching, listening to the podcast, Bazar has the most amazing head of curly hair in the world. I love it. All right. Well, it's been a hot day. It's snowing in Bazar. All right, Baz. I will talk to you later. All right. Take care, Brookster. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Baz. It's always great to talk to you. And congratulations on the new baby girl, little Lily. And I cannot wait to be her next time I'm in Boston. All right. Now, before I let you guys know what's happening next in my grand world adventure, don't forget that next Tuesday, January 30th, I'm hosting a free webinar all about landing your dream job in study abroad. You can sign up for the training, plus get access to the replay and a very special little perk I'm offering at InsideStudyAbroad.com slash training. I hope to see a lot of you there. Now, for what's happening next, I'll be in Argentina for about another week, and I'm hoping to make a side trip this weekend to Uruguay and hit country number 33, which is just crazy to me. 
Of course, I'll be eating my weight in empanadas in the meantime. If you want to connect with me and see behind the scenes of my digital nomad life and all those empanadas, you can find me on the Instagram as the new Dorothy. Until next time, remember that every day you postpone a dream, you weaken it a little. So get out there and make some magic happen. Thank you.